Our passage for this morning is in Joshua chapter 9, but I'm going to ask you to turn to Deuteronomy 7 to start. So Deuteronomy 7, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. There's some important uh, background context that is important to understanding the main text that will be in in Joshua chapter 9 in a moment. Last week we saw how Israel had experienced failure in trying to take the city of Ai. And we studied that there were two primary causes for that. One was the fact that um, the hidden sin of Achan, he had taken some of the spoils that weren't supposed to be taken from Jericho, hid them, and, and that was exposed eventually. And then the second reason uh, was because of Israel's attitude of assumption. That had led them to think that they could move ahead with their own plans. Uh, they were confident, overconfident. Um, they were unwise in how they went about it. Uh, they didn't take enough people. And all of that was a result of not asking the Lord and then not ask, recognizing that uh, the Lord wasn't giving them specific plans at that point for the battle for AI, but they just went ahead. And, and the defeat there at AI was really um, humiliating. And instead of, you remember in the study last week, instead of looking inwardly uh, at the, themselves at the cause of the problem, they did what was far too common, and they started to question and blame the Lord for failing them. And just a little side note at the outset this morning, that's never the cause of the problem. Blaming the Lord and saying, the Lord, you failed me, that's never the cause of the problem, and we should never think it is. Even when the Lord allows us to experience trials and difficulties, it is always a direct result of us. It's because of our immaturity or our lack of faith or our need to be refined or our need to prioritize and look at the right things or some kind of combination of that. But, but when we are experience difficulty, it's because the Lord is shaping us because we're not where we're supposed to be. I know that because James 1 says that. Trying your very faith works patience. Let patience have its perfect work so that you might become complete. In other words, Paul Rhodes, after 42 and a half years of being saved, is not anywhere near complete. I should be, but I'm not. So the Lord has to keep taking me through trials and bringing difficulty into my life and bringing things that are going to stretch my faith so I'll become more complete. Now, Israel, we know from history, dealt with that all the time. So once they handle the problem of the hidden sin, uh, which we saw... And then they accepted the Lord's gentle correction that you guys have been misguided and you've, you've been wrong. Once they did that, God gave them very clear thinking and gave them a very complete defeat at Ai. Now that's what happens in chapter 8. We're going to skip over chapter 8 this morning. That's all about the conquest of Ai. I encourage you to read it this week and study it and see what happens because it's kind of a cool story. But um, at the end of that, Joshua builds an altar to the Lord which is what is right in Scripture. God said in the law, build an altar to me, um, sacrifice to me. That, that not only recognizes that God is the authority and he has the power, but it's also a, a statement of humbling and sacrifice before the Lord. Now, as that happens, and I know you're not in Joshua, at the end of chapter 8, Joshua copies the whole law of Moses. And after copying the whole law of Moses, he gathers all the people together, men, women, and children, soldiers, priests, everybody. They gather all together, and they all stand. Think about this. They all stand, and Joshua reads the entire law to the people. 
Now, after they read the law, they're going to be very clear about what's going on. And they're especially going to be clear about this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 to 2. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and he clears away many nations before you, then God is specific, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations that are greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, you will utterly destroy them. That's provision number one. Provision number two, you shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. So a couple foundational principles before we get to Joshua 9 this morning. First of all, this is unmistakable. There's no way they can miss this. There should be no hesitation, no mercy in conquering the land and defeating these nations that are stronger than you. And when you do that, do not make any kind of covenant with the Canaanites. Now, Israel at this point, having just heard this read again and just gone through the whole law, they know after the, de- the debacle at Ai, they know that they need to ask the Lord for help before they make any plans because they've experienced the failure of not doing that. They also know that they need to all be involved in what the Lord's calling them to do, just like they were at Jericho when they all marched around the city and not at Ai when they only sent 3,000. So everybody needs to be engaged. And they also know that only victories are going to come when they trust the Lord and live in the center of his will. Okay, so right before we get to Joshua 9, we're going to turn a minute. They've got these provisions. Destroy everybody. Don't make a covenant. You're going to need my help. You're going to need to seek me. Everybody's going to need to be engaged. And I'm the only one that's going to give you victory. Okay, now turn over to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. And let's read verses 1 and 2. Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, the ones we just read, in the hill country and the lowland and all the coasts of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, God names them again, when all those kings heard of it, they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. Now what's happening here? All the Canaanite kings hear about what's happened as they cross the Red Sea. They hear about what happened at Jericho. They hear about what happened at Ai. And they realize that Israel's a formidable foe. Not because they have numbers, not because they're good fighters, but because of what went all the way back to what Rahab said at Jericho, which is, we heard what the Lord did in getting you out of Egypt, getting you through the Red Sea, getting you here, walking you across the Jordan. We know, and we're scared. We're intimidated. We know that we have no chance. So these kings get together and they say, look, from a battle standpoint, we're probably not going to be able to do this. We're either going to face death or we're somehow going to defeat Israel. So it would be better if we don't try to fight them one-on-one. Let's gather all together and let's take them on seven to one. Now we've got this map for you this morning because I want you to see what this was like and what was going on here, okay? This is Israel. If you don't know your your map of Israel, you need to get acquainted with them. There's the Sea of Galilee. What's this, everybody? That was good. One of you knew that that was the Dead Sea. Good for you. All right, we need to work on geography. This is the Jordan River. 
okay? And this is where Israel crossed, right about here, because that right there is the town of Jericho. Okay, so Israel's crossed over Jericho. Then the next place they went was to Ai, right here. So Jericho, up the mountains to Ai. And then the next town they're going to have to go to is right here. It's called Gibeon. Gibeon. Now, keep that word in mind because what happens next is the Gibeonites get involved. Because they look at this situation and they recognize being 68 miles west of Ai, that Israel's coming for them next. And the Gibeonites have really been paying attention. They are aware of what's going on beyond just, well, Israel's coming. They, they realize what's happening, and they're thinking ahead, and they're formulating a plan. And let's read about that in verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon, all right, we know where that is on the map, when they heard what Joshua had done to Jericho, and to Ai, because they're walking in a straight line toward them. They also acted craftily and sent on envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We've come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, because the Gibeonites were part of the Hivite tribe, perhaps you're living within our land. How shall we then make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, we're your servants. Then Joshua said, well, who are you? and Where do you come from? They said, we come from a far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who are beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and the inhabitants of our country spoke to us and said, Go take provisions in your hand for the journey and go meet them and say to them, we're your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. This our bread was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now behold, it's dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins which were filled were new and behold, they're torn and our clothes and sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Now it's not clear how the Gibeonites got this information. We don't know if they had a spy in Deuteronomy 7 when Israel met at, at Ebel and, and found out that these provisions were in place. Or, or maybe they just heard it somehow. We don't really know. But whatever the case is, they knew what was going on. And they knew that Israel had conditions to what they were doing. They had to go take the nations out, and they could not make a covenant with anybody. So the Gibeonites take that information, and they strategize around it. Now, it would seem logical to me, and hopefully to you, that Israel would also strategize around this. That they would know that that is what God has said and that they have to deal that way with their enemies because they had heard the original law, Deuteronomy 7, less than a year before and then just a couple days before they had had the entire law read to them again. So what happens at the end of chapter 8 
and the copy of the law being read, verses 32 down to 35, they, they have now just heard it. But instead of being vigilant, instead of being more skeptical, when these guys show up with this story about being from a distant land, why they would be scared of Israel and need to get involved if they're from very, very far away, nobody ever bothers to ask. But, but instead of being skeptical and extra wary because of what happened at Ai and, and extra hesitant to make a covenant with anybody, even an ostensibly distant nation, Instead, Israel falls for the deception. And I want to talk about that this morning, of of some of the reasons why Israel failed here. Some of the ways that we see going on here are ways that we can be deceived. Especially when we're immature in our faith, but it's not limited to people that are immature in our faith. Even people who have been mature and saved for many, many years can be fooled by some of this deception. And that's what what happens to Israel. And I believe since all scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for our teaching, correction, and training in righteousness, correct? Right? Yes? The answer to that is yes? So if all scripture is given to teach me and you and to train us how to live righteously, then Joshua chapter 9 applies to us just as much as John 3.16. And Joshua chapter 9 says, look, understand this, because there are things that Israel does to allow their faith to be undermined, to allow their witness to be damaged, and to allow their maturation to stop because they're deceived. And that, Christian 2017, is for you and for me. This is what we need to understand. So I want to take a couple minutes this morning, and I want you to take some notes. I was talking to somebody this week about taking notes. We've got to, when we're studying Scripture, not just listening to me. Come on, we know better than that. When we study Scripture, we need to take notes. We need to write things down the Lord's impressing on our heart. So I want to encourage you. There's a place on your bulletin there. Write some notes this morning. And let's talk this morning about the four methods that the Gibeonites use to deceive the Israelites because these are the same type of temptations and methods that we're going to face in the spiritual battle. What is the appeal? How do they go about taking this plan and putting it into place of how to deceive God's people and trick them into making a covenant that you should make? All right. Number one, they appeal to the people's desire to believe. They appeal to the people's desire to believe. Now, the Gibeonites tell a straight and clever lie. And you would think that somebody of the millions of people that Israel has at this point would have sniffed it out. But the Gibeonites were working on a basic human principle that many times comes into deception. And that is that we want to believe the best in people. We want to believe the best people. Now, that's a great quality. I wish I had much more of it in my life, of believing the best in people. Sometimes if you've been hurt in life, or somebody's disappointed you, or you've been wounded in some way emotionally, relationally, sometimes you become a little calloused, right? Your, 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 your trust in people becomes a little bit less. Well, that happens, but our basic instinct is to trust people, to think they're shooting straight with us, to think that they're being honest. And that's a wonderful quality, and it's absolutely vital for us as Christians as we talk to people 
Because what does Scripture tell us? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we're going to communicate, share the gospel, minister to people, it has to be motivated by love. So we want to believe the best in people. At the same time, the Lord calls us to have wisdom and discernment. And when someone is not walking with the Lord, they may act like our friend, and they may even uh, be someone who says they share our beliefs, but that's not reliable. It's a fraud. Not everybody who says they're aligned with us has the same heart for the Lord. Their acceptance of the Bible, maybe it's, it's marginal, maybe it's selective, maybe they value and, and prioritize things in their lives that are, that are worldly and not aligned with Scripture and, and really are damaging personally. And when we're around people like that, they influence us and get us off track. So we need discernment from the Lord to know what's true and what's from Him. Now we'll talk more about this in a minute, but, but that clarity comes through prayer, and it comes through the word of the Lord. And again, we see kind of shades of AI here in that the Lord doesn't give them any advance warning. He doesn't say to Joshua, hey, look, there's a whole group of people. They're messengers from another nation. They're coming to make a covenant with you, and this is good, Joshua. It's, it's okay. These, these people are straight up. The Lord never gives them any word. And when these people show up, Joshua doesn't say, hey, you know, we need to gather together. We need to pray. We need to make sure that this is, that this is legit. So there's no insight from the Lord, and they don't ask. And again, they don't notice his silence. Silence from the Lord is rarely a good thing. God is so gracious to communicate with us and to warn us and to convict us and to give us wisdom and clarity of insight that if we don't hear his voice, we better ask him and we better wait till we hear. Because if God's just being silent, it is rare that that's about just, you know, silence. It it usually indicates that there's a problem because God doesn't like to be silent. He's a personal, gracious God who communicates with us all the time. So their first problem is they appeal to the desire to believe. Second problem is the Gibeonites appealed to their apparent spiritual agreement. They appealed to their apparent spiritual agreement. Now in verse 9, when you get done writing, look back at that. They make it seem like they have the same awe, the same belief in God that the Jews do. And that, hey, look, we're all together. We heard what God did in Egypt and we came to meet you because we're in alignment with you. But that's false. This is a reminder here that our enemy plots very careful deceptions against us and he will use whatever means necessary to confuse us. In Ephesians 6, the Spirit calls it the schemes of the devil. The word means deceit and trickery. But the Lord tells us how to combat that. Write down 1 John 4, 1. It's an important verse. Do not believe every spirit But test the spirits to see whether they're from God because there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. The Bible tells us that there is one Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and that there is a Spirit of Antichrist. And the Spirit of Antichrist is contrary to and opposed to the Spirit of God and the Word of God. Everything in life will fall under one or the other. 
So when it is not patently obvious, and many times it is not, we have to put it to the test. And the Bible tells us to walk circumspectly, to study the word, to be wise, and not to believe everything that we hear. How do we then determine what's kind of fuzzy? Well, we hold it in our hands right here. You hold it right up against the word of God. If it's not in the word of God, if it's not approved by the word of God, it's not for you. If the Bible speaks clearly against it and says, don't do this, then our job is to do what? Not do it. This is not mystical. It's not confusing. God doesn't say, well, kind of figure it out and use your judgment and and, and kind of go by your conscience. There's never any of that with the Lord. He says, I've given you clear guidelines and directions. This is how to live. It's not here, and I disapprove of it. Don't do it. And if you're still confused, and you can't understand what the Word's telling me, then go to me, ask me, and my Holy Spirit will give you clear direction. So we need discernment. God says in James 1, I'll give you wisdom liberally if you'll just believe me. If you'll trust me and call on me and ask me for wisdom, I'll give it. And then after we discern that, we have to be willing to stand up and reject what's false, no matter how popular it is. So much of the new pressure, and I talk about this a lot, forgive me, but it's just on my heart. So much of the new pressure within Christianity is to be on the right side of what has been deemed successful. But there's a very dangerous element to that. Because being successful can lead to pride. And pride can lead to destruction. And when it starts to dilute and disregard the word, and when it starts to replace Jesus with anything else, we're on a very dangerous track. You know, Jesus himself said, be careful about people. We know that the devil can use people to lead us astray. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And then when he sent his disciples out to serve, he said, Beware of men, because the enemy can use people to lead you astray by kind of encouraging you to be part of sin and through false teaching and through kind of subtle influence that, that, that just defeats us. You know, we talk a lot about the devil being a roaring lion. We're not giving him any credit this morning. Roaring lion is seeking who he may devour. But don't forget, the devil started as a subtle serpent. He, he, he'll appear and we know, oh, there's spiritual attack. But at the same time, he's biting us on the heel. Saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. But you don't see what's coming behind. So we've got to be very wise. We need to accept this morning, and I want you to really hear me. Holy Spirit, help us right now. We need to accept that there is no spiritual agreement and consensus with people who deny the Word of God. There is no spiritual agreement and consensus with people who deny the Word of God. Now, provision, that does not mean we don't interact them. It doesn't mean we shun them. It doesn't mean we look down on them. It means that we love them. We share God's truth with them. We work hard to bring them to an understanding of Jesus Christ. We tell them the good news. We pray for them. We encourage them. We build relationships with them. We show love and mercy to them, just like Christ did with us. 
But we need to understand that the vast majority are going to reject it. Because they oppose the word of God. You know, we see this in politics all the time. There are two diverging political philosophies of government. The left has its agenda. The right has its agenda. The right is a little mushy right now. The left is very strong in terms of what they believe. They're they're very adamant that they want things a certain way. Parts of the right do too, but, but they're not quite sure because they're still trying to manage the middle. And then we had this election a year ago, where, where we got a president elected, not because people are tired of a lack of agreement in Washington, people are tired of not being heard. At least that's what they're telling us. And politicians weren't representing that. And the reason there's been so much gridlock in Washington isn't because there isn't enough agreement. And honestly, there shouldn't be, because the political ideologies are, are completely separate. Now, for the sake of our country, right, the government needs to get its act together and get some of these common basic agreements that we need worked out. How many say amen to that? I mean, come on now, seriously. But when it comes down to religious, moral, ethical issues, we should not expect that the left and the right are going to hold hands and sing kumbaya and make all kinds of agreements that are going to make everybody happy because they believe different things. They are on opposite sides of the spectrum of ideology. Now, in the same way, please hear me this morning, there is nothing really that we have in common with somebody who denies the word of God and marginalizes Jesus Christ. We believe in the inerrant word of God. We believe that the Holy Spirit gave men the words to write this book and that this book is infallible, that God uses it, and that it is the foundation for everything that we believe and how we live. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope of salvation and that the only way of having our lives change from death to life is to trust in Him. But we've been told that in the spirit of consensus... And in the spirit of political correctness, that we need to find common ground with people that deny Jesus Christ, which is code for give up your convictions so that you'll fit in and not bother anybody. And not only is that dangerous to our doctrine and our faith and our ministry, but it will not endear us to people who don't know Jesus Christ. It just makes us look weak and lacking in conviction. People want conviction in life. They want conviction. Parents, your kids want conviction. They are begging for it. They do not want lax rules. They do not want total freedom. They say they do, but they don't know any better. They want conviction. They want standards. They want rules. Believe it or not. I'm saying this. They're not in here. I'm telling you now the secret. They want rules. Not heavy-handed, do this, do that. No, come on. Within reason, what does the Bible tell us about raising a child in the way that they should go? The reason the American family is falling apart, including within Christianity, is because we've just sat back and let them do whatever they want. Parenting is a hard job, and we've got to set some standards. 
And when we set standards for our faith and for our walk and for our witness, when we stand for Christ, listen, Jesus told us a lot of people are going to reject us. A lot of people. The vast majority are going to reject us. But there will be people that are going to be stirred by conviction. And they're going to say, what's the difference? Why do you live that way? Why do you believe what you believe? Give me an answer. Tell me. Tell me why you believe the word of God. And when we trust the Lord and we open up our hearts and we say, Holy Spirit, I need your help right now. Give me the words. Those words will flow out of our mouths and we will tell about the good news and people will say, I want to know about that. I want to know about that. My life doesn't make sense right now. I don't have any answers. I need some answers. Well, you know what? Here it is. It's not going to be through politics and some sleazy entertainment people and sports people only care about money. It's through the Word of God. Third, the Gibeonites appealed to Israel's emotions. They show up seemingly worn out. I think the text uses the word like six times. Worn out. Oh, oh, okay, we're tired. It's been such a long journey. And we're, listen, we're kind of intimidated by you guys. Just give it a second because we're really, really humbled to be in your presence. Pretty fearful. We've heard about everything that's going on. We're your servants. Don't shoot. We're your servants. Just want to be here. Just want to make up with you guys. Want to lie with you guys. We know the Lord's with you. Look, we're, we're, we're worn out. This is one of the enemy's most common and effective tactics. Pushing an emotionally compelling argument as necessary, listen now, even if it contradicts God's word. I've had more men than I want to count, and some women, over the years, who have come to me in counseling and said, yes, I'm having an affair, and I've never been happier. You have no idea what my spouse is like. And I found somebody that listens to me and takes care of me. And we kind of developed an emotional bond and it's turned sexual. And I, you know, I, I know that's not right, but I've never been happier. How could God deny my happiness? Even though it's abundantly clear from Scripture that any unfaithfulness outside of marriage, even if you're single, is an abomination to the Lord and that God hates divorce. I've seen people justify alcohol use at the expense of their health and their family and their reputation because they've made a a social environment and they need it or they need it because they're depressed. Even though the Lord says you're no longer slaves to sin and you should never be drunk, you should never be influenced by what corrupts your mind and your behavior. I can't tell you how many lives I've seen over the last 30 years that have been destroyed by alcohol. And I know it's a big thing in this state. And you know what? We need to be different. I've seen unhealthy amounts of time people spend online or in social media or gaming. Detached from their spouse. Detached from their kids. Detached from church. Because they're not doing well and they just need to be engaged with an online world instead of developing real relationships and fostering what they have. Even though Bible tells us to redeem your time because the days are evil and to sacrifice yourself and to love and to serve and to build up other people spiritually and to start in your homes. Uh Oh, we hear all that, but you know what? I have needs. Goes on and on. Hobbies, sports, 
all to fill some kind of emotional desire. And let me tell you, the enemy knows the appeal of what we call our emotional needs. And he takes times when we have certain feelings and emotions and moods and he helps us to justify them and he steps in and says, I'm going to manipulate you and defeat you and I'm going to convince you that that's more trustworthy, that your feelings and emotions are more trustworthy than the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Rhodes, you just follow those. Go on. Feeling a little down today? Yeah, it's kind of gloomy. If you wrestle with anger, listen to what Paul says. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give place to the devil. You hold on to that anger and you carry it with you and it builds hostility and resentment and you might as well just open the door to the devil and say, here, control me. Or you can access the word of God and you can go to his throne of grace and prayer and you can stop filling your mind with all those things that are so destructive. And you ask the Lord, we talked about this Thursday night about going straight to the throne of grace. Listen to it if you haven't. We just go to the Lord and we say, Lord, expose it. Expose it. I want you to replace it. I want you to take it away because it's unhealthy. Oh, emotions are so strong. And they come, oh, we're so weak and we're so bored out. Please help us. Oh, oh, man, we're weary. They're from 68 miles away. Look at the fourth and last thought. Verses 12 and 13 show us that the Gibeonites appealed to our desire for circumstantial evidence. We have a desire for circumstantial evidence. Now, if you look back at verses 7 to 11, you see that Joshua and Israel are initially pretty skeptical. And twice they say, what's the name of your country? Where are you from? And they never get an answer. And that lack of detail should have given them, gotten their attention. But, but when they see the worn-out sandals and the worn-out clothes and the worn-out donkeys and the worn-out wineskins and the moldy, crumbly bled, no, that convinces them. The circumstantial convinces them. This, this questionable story is backed up by what seems to be credible physical evidence. And because we tend to prefer to walk by sight instead of by faith, they buy it. How many times in, in, in your life and in my life have we chosen to trust what we can see instead of being to content to trust the Lord to provide in His timing? How many times have you said, Lord, I just need a sign. I just need some some tangible evidence that you're working. Jesus said, a wicked generation seeks a sign. That that asking God, just keep showing me. God, just keep showing me. Just keep showing me. And and when you don't show me, I'm going to be really frustrated. And I'm not going to trust you because I need proof. Because I'm not like most people. I need tangible. God says, are you different than any other human I've ever created? If you're a believer, Paul Rhodes, you walk by faith and not by sight. I don't need to tell you. I don't owe you anything. But I'm gracious and I will in my time and by my will. And look back at the verses. That's Israel's mistake here. The deception of the Gideites is effective, but it wouldn't have mattered one bit. They wouldn't have been fooling God's people for one second if Israel had sought the Lord. 
And the Spirit makes that crystal clear in verse 14. Look at that. We're going to pray. He says, Israel took some of the provisions. In other words, they put it in their hands. They're like, well, look, guys. Hey, Joshua, look. This bread's really moldy. Like, what's going on here? And look at that donkey, man. He looks like he's about to pass out. And their wineskins, their clothes, look at their sandals. They need a new pair of Timberlands. I mean, they are just, they are gone. Like, man, I've never seen sandals like that. And we walk through the desert. Like, this this group's group's down. We better help them. Israel took some of the provisions, verse 14, and did not ask. For the counsel of the Lord. You know, we would think that the, that the events of AI would be fresh in their mind. But they quickly forgot the humiliation. And they forget, quickly forgot the 36 who died as they ran. And they quickly forgot God's clear lesson. And they repeat the mistake. But not only did they repeat the mistake. Oh, it gets worse than that. Then they actually make a covenant with the enemy. See, a covenant was a legally and spiritually binding agreement that was sealed before God, and it indicated total alignment. It indicated we are one, we're together. This is a lasting obligation we're making before the face of God that you and I are in agreement and alignment, and we're going to keep the deal. And in that case, because of what they're saying, Israel now cannot destroy this enemy and they cannot complete the assignment to to do the victory that God's going to give them and they only have a partial victory. You know, when we align ourselves with what's not pleasing to the Lord, it makes us very vulnerable. Essentially what we're doing is we're establishing a deal with the enemy and that's limiting our ability to attack and to defend ourselves and it makes us weak and vulnerable to decline, not to mention that it displeases the Lord. And we can see, look at verse 18, that it it creates dissension. The people start to grumble against the leaders, just like a spouse grumbles against their other spouse, or the kids grumble against the parents, or the body of believers starts to grumble internally, because when we're in alignment with the enemy, instead of seeking the Lord, that's what happens. If Israel had just said, all right, man, it's pretty compelling evidence. I don't know. You guys look pretty worn out. You know what? Take a seat just for a couple minutes. You guys just hang out for just a moment. We got to go over here. Do you mind? We'll give you some food and bread. Just, just hang. Just hang. It's good. Cool. No problem. Just, hey, just, just take care of them, right? We need to ask the Lord if this is right. This seems right. And everything on the evidence, I feel really bad for these people. They look really worn out. But, but you know what? Something nagging me about this. And I'm not, we're not going to act until God gives us clarity. And if they had just done that, God would have given them discernment. We live in an increasingly confusing and deceptive time. And we need real wisdom and insight that only comes in the Lord. And that especially applies, listen now, to our, to our social and business relationships. We talked about this a couple months ago, three, four, five months ago. We need to be very careful who we make covenants with. Sadly, I have seen too many times the damaging impact of unequally yoked marriages. So if you're dating or thinking about it, 
somebody that doesn't love the Lord, I want to tell you right now, the only option is a strong believer. Do not think, well, I'll date them and they'll come to Christ. Listen, if they're going to come to Christ, then lead them to Christ, then date them. And make sure it's real. But dating to change people, marrying to change people, it won't be successful. It'll only change you. In business arrangements, sacrificing moral values, compromising conviction just to get ahead, that's going to ultimately fail because the Lord won't bless it. You make make tons of money. You may get ahead. You may be high up in the company, but there will be no joy, and I promise you it will end badly. We will only have clarity in our hearts and minds. We will only have God's hand on our lives when we're a covenant with the Lord and we're, when we're aligned with who and what pleases him. Now, ask yourself, we're done. How does that truth penetrate your heart and mind this morning what's the lord saying to you listen don't don't stir how's the spirit of god convicting you this morning if you're going i don't know paul i feel wow i feel a little gullible now and 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 you know what i'm i'm driven a lot of times by the emotional and the circumstantial instead of being grounded in my faith well that's easy enough to change go to the lord and say lord i need you to remove that tendency in my life and I want to trust in you. And I need your wisdom and your strength and your discernment because I don't have it. You think God's going to look at that and go, nah, I don't think so. You want that? You want wisdom and discernment from me? Nah. Nah. I want you to stay weak. I want you to be really driven by your emotions and, and be crazy about the circumstantial and, and, and not get anything. That, that's better for you. If we ask him for bread, he's not going to give us what? A stone, right? My kids come to me, Dad, can I have that? Yeah, within reason, if I can afford it, absolutely. I'm not spoiling them. I just love them. I love them. God's love is infinitely greater than my feeble love for my kids. If you're aligned with the wrong people, the wrong circumstances, you need to make new spiritual covenants starting with one with the Lord. Listen, these are not small issues. We see how Israel was, was damaged and, and impacted by impulsive and tangible decision-making that didn't make sense instead of speak, seeking the Lord. And for us to be led and be effective and blessed, God needs to be at our right hand always before us. So let's close our eyes and ask him to help us because today's the day to start.